Hey everyone, this is Izzy, the creator of Izzy's Two Sound Sense blog and the music channel Misanthrope on YouTube. You are currently listening to my podcast, Sounding Out with Misanthrope, where I speak to friends of mine, from musicians to DJs to zine makers to promoters, about their experiences as queer femme people in the music industry. Right off the bat, I would love for you to all please help boost the podcast by giving it a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. It would be super helpful to help more people hear the podcast, and it will also get me recommended on streaming platforms. In today's episode, I speak with my friend Brooke Giles, who is a broadcast journalist from D.C. and a self-professed pop music enthusiast. Throughout our conversation, we go in-depth about the importance of throwing away the idea of pop music as a guilty pleasure and truly recognizing pop as a valuable and dynamic art form that is worthy of critical discussion. We also dive headfirst into the notorious cultural debate amongst music nerds known as Poptimism versus Rockism, a debate between Poptimists, people who believe that pop, hip-hop, and R&B are just as worthy of critical praise as rock music as they should be, and rockists, a term often used for people who dismiss pop, R&B, and hip-hop, and only believe that rock music is the superior art form. It's a very heavy and varied discussion, so let's get into it. Hello. Uh-oh. I can't, uh, are you muted? Yes. Yes, I was. I was muted. (laughs) Okay, there we go. All right. So um, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, I had um, a very angsty, angsty attempt at sleeping last night. How about (laughs) how are you doing? I thought I had a meeting at nine today. And but I knew I didn't because I I knew it wasn't the meet, like I wasn't going to have to be up at nine, but just in case. So I set my alarm for eight and I was like, well, I'll work out. But then I remembered that my back is like super sore. And so I was like, mm, and my, like my legs are super sore. I like, I'm back coaching again. So like, I'm literally my body, I like was really hands-on for the past two days and I'm in so much pain. So I was like, never mind. For that, so I just laid in bed for like an hour and a half, and then to make matters good and worse, my mom brought me my Starbucks, so I didn't even have to go and get my Starbucks. So I've literally been sitting in this chair ninety percent of today working. (laughs) So it's been one of those days. I had um one meeting today, and I was um, and as soon as it was over, I just crashed and for like an hour and then I woke up again and then I did some like research for today, which I'm excited about um, because um, we're talking about um, pop enthusiasm today. And yeah. you are someone who I love to talk to um, because you kind of... Um, disprove you're a classic um case of someone who disproves the misconception that pop fans are like 
people who haven't been exposed, haven't been exposed to stuff that's more like underground or cutting edge. Like that's a popular misconception, but no, like you are a, um, if I may use the term, you are a music nerd, um, and very knowledgeable about music history, but you also like actively prefer pop music. And I was wondering if you wanted to, um, tell me what it would like, what you can think of about pop music that you really connect to um, most um, with it. Yeah, I think, you know, growing up, pop music is like the biggest mainstream genre, I would say. And when you think of the greats in music, you know, in terms of vocals or performing, they're pop artists 90% of the time. We don't give that, that's kind of like the universal thing the universe, I call it like a universal genre, but then within the genre, there are so many different subsets of pop. And I think that's why I've always loved pop because pop can, to quote Lady Gaga, art pop could be anything. And, but you know, pop music really can be anything. And there are some sets of genre, of pop music that I don't particularly care for. There are certain things in pop that I live for. And I think I love this genre because it's accessible. And while, you know, I'm trying to think because, you know, it, it, there's definitely room for growth. And I think there are some issues in pop, you know, and I'm sure we'll maybe discuss it, but, you know, even if we don't, I'll say like, you know, as a black girl, you know, growing up, we don't have a lot of black pop stars. We don't have, I mean, I would say Beyonce is like the biggest pop star quote unquote, but I mean, she's in a class of her own when it comes to genre. Um, but, you know, growing up in like that early 2000s era, it's the Britneys, it's the Christinas who, uh, you know, about me, <laughs> I love and adore with all my heart. But, and I think that like pop just has like a different allure to it. So I say all this to say, like, I love it because it is something about it that is just like there's pageantry involved in it it's a different type of genre but I do think that the pageantry does get does kind of mess with the rep of this of the genre it's kind of like not to be super on brand but it's like cheerleading right like it's a it's a sport that's super hard and athletic but on the surface all you see is the pageantry but it's a lot deeper than that um so yeah, for sure. Um, I apologize if it sounds like there's drones um, coming out of uh, where I am currently sitting because the traffic is very loud down here. Um, but uh, I re- I definitely like I love how you brought up how difficult um, the whole like act of being a a full a fully fledged performer like a Britney or Christina can be and the pageantry as well and how that can sometimes it's interesting how you brought up how that can sometimes be used against it um, when people criticize the genre because I was recently looking into so I I got into uh, so this rabbit hole goes like way deeper than I expected but I did a lot of reading on the rockism versus poptimism debates. And um, some people, um, so I 
let me bring this up. It says on um, the Wikipedia page, because I'm so good at research, (laughs) wink, (laughs) um, that rockism is basically the belief that rock music is dependent on values such as authenticity and artfulness and that such values elevate the genre over other forms of popular music. So-called raucous may promote the artifices stereotyped in rock music or may regard the genre as the normative state of popular music, while poptimism is the belief that pop music is just as worthy as of professional critique and interest as rock music. Detractors of poptimism describe it as a counterpart of rockism that unfairly privileges the most famous and best-selling pop, hip-hop, and R&B acts, and so on and so forth. But so I read a few of the different articles on this, and one of the articles that I read that was cited, um, I I checked out the articles that were heavily cited, and... Some of them were incredibly nuanced and well-stated with some points that I agree with. And other others um, were arguing for like a middle ground, like, oh, there needs to be more nuance, which I agree with, but we need to throw out the debate altogether, which when it's something like that has been brought into the collective consciousness like this and written about in the New York Times, um, that's going to be kind of hard to do when you think about it. Yeah. And I think, I think though, it's an important conversation. I mean, I think a little bit of this idea that pop music isn't a form of art or isn't artfulness is, I think that's rooted into some of the origins of pop music and the sense of, you know, back in the fifties and the era of when musicians and especially popular music was really just a cash cow for like these record labels which that that's not to say those artists were not artists but at the time that wasn't it was a money game back in the day the pop music and you definitely see in the more you know in the 80s and the 90s where you start seeing pop as like okay these are people they're operating on their own free will and they they're artistry and then I think even now what's really beautiful uh, and the thing that I think has really made me love pop music again is that you're seeing a lot of these pop stars put their hand in the songwriting process in the creative process and I think that's something that has always happened but we're not giving like I'm sorry for a lack of better words in a genre that's ran by like women it's not you're not given that you know even in modern times, you know, male pop stars give a, get a lot of respect for being just good songwriters and, you know, deep nuance and like mm-hmm. whatever. But for some reason, women don't get that. Or the only women that do, the Taylor Swift's of the world, are, are you have to have it. You kind of have to have the guitar. But when you hear something like, you know, my queen, you know, Ariana, like who did write all of, you know, on Sweetener and have writing credits on Sweetener, who did write on Thank You Next and wrote these albums from really dark places, which not to say the tragedy needs to be done, but like these are, it's from a true place, you know, just because Thank You Next has a great chorus, that doesn't mean that that song doesn't have a deeper meaning. And it does, we know that it does. Um, that's the same thing to say for, you know, if 
take Ariana out of it because I, I feel like it's easy to say that because, oh, well, it's tragedy. She's writing from tragedy, which I am always like, the fact that Thank You Next is such a bop of an album and it's such an upbeat album. There's only really only one or two songs that are really slow on this album that's made out of mourning is kind of a testament to say like, that's not true. But then you get, you know, a Lord and Lord, the melodrama is about a breakup. It's an album about a breakup and it's from that nuanced place, but you hear green light and you're just thinking about like men lying about liking the beach. Like it's a completely different thing and you don't see it. And I do think that we have an issue in pop music. And I know we've talked about it, like where you have, if you're too sparkly, if you're too girly, too feminine, too whatever, it somehow like makes your artistry less important. And I think we talked about how um, um, Billy Joel Armstrong was like dissing Ariana's like Grammy performance because, you know, she did seven rings and you know it's a song that's about spending money and it's like the whatever and then she did thank you next and but Billie Eilish sat and you know and just sang and that's just makes her a little bit more nuanced of an artist because she's singing a song she wrote and I'm like Ariana is also singing songs she wrote all three of those songs she wrote you know seven rings is a song it, on the surface is it doesn't sound like it's a song about like spending money and all this Sure, but when you know that this is a song that she wrote after, you know, as she's mourning and grieving the end of a relationship and the end of, you know, the death of someone she loves and her friends took her out shopping and they got drunk and they had fun. And it's this idea of, you know, I'm a rich pop star. I can spend it and that's fun. And, you know, that's that's great. And I can do it with my friends. And it's it's a sister, it's a feminist song. I say all, you know, and I'm using these references because I think like when you talk about like this idea of rock is more artful over pop in this conversation, we still see this happening mm-hmm. now. And even, even, even as the genre, I would say pop has definitely become, I think there are a lot of people paying attention now and seeing like, wait a minute, these pop girls are smarter than we gave them credit for. And I, that's not the case for everyone. I will say that's not the case. And I'm not going to sit here and say every single pop star has like deep, meaningful lyrics. But I think this idea that women, because again, that's really what it comes down to, can't write and pop music cannot be written from a artful perspective. It's just silly. Like it's just, it's just dumb. Like for lack of a better word, um, gosh, I, Go ahead, because I have more. I can I can go on this for days because I can think of so many songs that I think that are super deep and like super like beautiful pop songs mm. that don't get that credit. You know, Britney Spears's "Every Time" is her one of her best ballads, and she wrote it all by herself on the piano, but nobody talks about that. Mm. Anywho, <laughs> yeah, and also like. This whole thing about, like, um, what also kind of baffles me about the whole uh, rockism, um, I guess, argument is that the is the idea of authenticity. I'm like, excuse me? Like, as if rock stars haven't also been curating these personas and putting on these different masks for years like every 
performer in the history of time has. It's and it's but you said it like you hit it on the head. It's performance. It is yeah. performance. And yes, you know, you have some times where you don't do performance, but you also when you're when you when you're putting on a persona, like that doesn't maybe that's not all the time, but we do that in real life, right? Like yeah. I'm sometimes I'm confident and fun and sometimes I'm awkward and I don't look <laughs> like I'm weird and you know I think it's so be- the, the beauty of music is that like you're able to artists are able to put on a persona for however long the song is and we've I mean you hear that in a lot of interviews artists say like you know I don't know what I was talking about I, I always think of the Beyonce thing for when she talks about um, making partition and how she said I she was just talking and like didn't know who took over for that five minutes but somebody else joined a different version Sasha Fierce because that's our older ego joined in but that's not who she is all the time that doesn't make the song less authentic it's just a version of herself it's her putting on something that makes her feel good um and rock artists have done this too I don't believe that every single rock artist has this like swaggering like I don't care persona that they like to use or like this hardcore like I'm just a little bit better (laughs) type of thing sometimes that you get in rock and also like the whole like effortless I don't care swagger is in itself also like a put on right yeah Um, like yeah it's it's silly to me exactly yeah and um so Okay, um, do you want to hear some cringeworthy lines from some of these um, uh, articles that try to slander the Poptimist movement? Okay, so one of these, um, I think this is the man who wrote the New York Times piece. It's called The Pernicious Rise of Poptimism by, I think his name is Saul Austerlitz. Austerlitz? I I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm sorry, sir, if I'm not. Uh, I don't know. Not really that sorry. But (laughs) one of the sentences he wrote was, should gainfully employed adults whose job is to listen to music thoughtfully really agree so regularly with the taste of 13-year-olds? Probably. Those 13-year-olds tend to become 25-year-olds. Those 13-year-olds tend to be, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent. Because God forbid any 13-year-old like anything. Am I right? Well, that, but then like, I I think about so many artists who are, you never know what inspires somebody. And I think about all these artists that people like praise and think are so deep and nuanced who are like, oh yeah, I grew up listening to Mariah Carey and I love Mariah Carey, you know, because this is that and the other. And I'm like, those 13 year olds eventually become the artists that you stand and that you think in you, in you loud. I mean, Billie Eilish, who I think has gotten I think of all of these pop girls because she's not really a traditional pop star in the sense of like glam and dance, like all that type of way. But like, she's gotten the most like, you know, respect I think from this rock and all like alternative music genre, which I, like I just said, I wonder why she got it over others, but she cried meeting Justin Bieber She's 19 years old because when she was 13, she was listening to Justin Bieber because she was 13. I'm just saying. So, but continue, continue. Read more of these quotes because I think like that's the the issue is that 
we always, you know, like the age old thing is like people didn't like the Beatles because teenagers like them. And now people act like it's blasphemy. If you even mm-hmm. hint that the Beatles aren't all, aren't, aren't all that. So <laughs> exactly. It's this revisionist like way of looking to the past that just, it's just like, we haven't forgotten what y'all said about the young girls in Beatlemania. Like, and I think like too, you know, like I'm thinking again, like you're, you look at like the real popularity that Olivia Rodrigo's uh, Sour like is getting right now. And I'm thinking like even back in my like days when I was 13, 12 and Taylor Swift was really getting popular and like all of that, the reason why these artists were so popular and why these teens, like, it's that representation. And I feel like, and I, I'm, I don't want to make a sweeping statement, but I feel like men and male, you know, masculinity and the, like, it's always presented in strong ways. There's so many songs that like men can, can listen to that they can aspire and enjoy like rap music that is like, deep and you know deep and I'm not going to take that away but like about the struggle and fight like all of that like that representation is there even like their romantic like not you know simp songs like those those things exist there's like a market for all of these things but girls you know we I I don't want to make it like it's not black and white obviously but like you know there's some authenticity I think in sometimes in pop music that that's why pop girl like young girls like it they either want to listen to beautiful olivia rodrigo sit here and talk about how she can't parallel park because i I can't parallel park either (laughs) or like like i that's i can relate to or they want to see you know doja cat like be a like boss and like you know talk about like running game and like okay yeah I'm inspired to be this strong and this confident that's that's aspirational and it's relatable and I think like that's why we we gravitate to it because mm-hmm. I can't really gravitate to you know not to, to sound basic but like when I was I guess like the biggest band when I was in like middle school like that age saw a boy do I love Fall Out Boy? Sure. But do I go listen to Infinity on High because I want to feel something that I can relate to? No, because I, I, I don't relate to this. I don't, this means nothing to me. But I was definitely lasting Fearless because Fearless, Taylor Swift's talking about she wears short skirts, I wear t-shirts, hits home. So sorry, I'm like ranting. Yeah. No, you make an excellent point about how, um, young men are allowed to um re- to voice their struggles and, and how the music that they enjoy is really um sort of is a vessel for them to like sort of deconstruct that or um sort of just to a booster for them but when it comes to um because Taylor Swift has I mean, like all the criti- this is only like one part of the criticism that she <laughs> no. of all the criticism she's 
ever gotten like this is one this is the one that i feel is very unjustified the idea where where it's like oh oh she's writing about a breakup again here we go and like even olivia rodrigo now is receiving these bad reviews being like oh too uh, too many songs about a breakup girl why are you dwelling on it it's like she's she's still uh, if if a young woman is still processing something like this which is very difficult especially your first heartbreak by the way and it was her first heartbreak right and I but like and that's like that's why I love these like I, I did a review of fearless I did like when fearless re-released I did a review of that and I did a review of um sour and I I said and I said you know there's something really cathargic about sour because yeah to, to us we're like girl get over it but let's be honest when you were 13 not 13 when you were 17 18 years old if you were dating someone and the person just straight up got a new girlfriend, you know, no matter what we, you know, I mean, we're, this relationship is obviously public. So of course, then you have everyone who's saying, well, this, that, and the other about your relationship. But the only people who know what that really was like is the two people in the relationship. And let's just take ourselves back to our teenage years. Like if you were in a relationship with someone and they just dumped you and started dating somebody else, somebody that you apparently already was insecure about, you're 18, your brain's not fully developed. <laughs> like you're going to probably have, you're going to be mad about it for a while. And I think about the, like the growth, like even in the Taylor Swift thing, like I even said for fearless, I was like, you know, low key fearless has a lot of feminist messaging about it because it's a album, you know, I think of like her songs, like, you know, white horse where she's like, I'm going to find someone someday who might, treat me well and it's like it's not begging the person to take none of these songs are really begging the men to take them back they're very self and reflective and I mean I even think about how in in sour you know like the parallels of like she says like I hate that I give you power over stuff like that or like you really like like the idea of like I was also at fall a little bit here you know I did a lot of really weird things I was embarrassing but then also saying like this is not good you know I I don't know I feel like there's it's easier to relate to something when it's a feeling that you can understand that makes the music better than something that you I don't go on binges I don't go on alcohol binges every day (laughs) you know like some of these things I don't prophesize and sit around and think about like my mortality like you know some of these some other genres like it's just not that deep sorry we are only on the first one I want to hear the rest of them (laughs) yeah so um now this um other piece um which was written by uh Chris Richards in the Washington Post which I feel was much more nuanced and more um well argued because he does acknowledge the fact that um People should just be able to like whatever they like without any preconceived um, bullshit. Um, And but he also argues that um, uh, is it is it bad to go into music um, listening experiences thinking, oh, will this give me cool points if I like this or don't like this? Yes, that is that is bad. But what? But we must also acknowledge that sometimes these more corporate mainstream artists who can afford these amazing PR teams and everything can sometimes get propped up and kissed on the foot a lot by critics. 
um, which is also true. I, um, and 100%. And what was this? Um, and he speaks on that, um, previous guy that who wrote the New York times piece and what he says was really great. Um, here it is like me. Austerlitz was suffering from consensus fatigue. He had also wondered whether the hype machine had finally cracked the formula for for perpetual motion. Fame begets fawning praise. Fawning praise generates big web traffic. Big web traffic perpetuates fame, rinse and repeat. But the essay whiffed. Austerlitz simply wanted the old thing back. Those halcyon days when somebody could love the strokes and resent Miley Cyrus, no questions asked. He argued that the open-heartedness of poptimism was actually a guise that gave listeners, quote, carte blanche to be less adventurous. If And, um, so, and obviously, um, he's saying, like, uh, this is where you. This is where you lost people in the piece, man. You 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 became that old fart that optimism started as a reaction against. Who says what happened to the good old days when real rock music was ruling? And <laughs> but I mean, things evolve. We evolve as people. Like we evolve. Like, and I'm because I I've heard rap kind of be like sprinkled into this, and I feel like rap is a is like the genre that kind of straddles both sides of this of like rock and and pop in the sense of like how people view it because you know rap has a lot of rap uh, elitism <laughs> within that genre but then you also so it's like this idea of like who's a real rapper and like a, who really goes bar for bar and like who's a pop rapper and I agree there's there's definitely two types but I feel like they're both equally great and but um this idea of like music evolves and at some point like you don't and 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 we've talked about this too is like we're at a different stage now like right like where you and I use rap because I'm saying and what I'm about to say is like when rap was emerging in the 90s the late 80s like 90s it was very niche. It was very like a whole hip hop. Like it, it was like a thing. Like, and it it was it was mainstream, but it wasn't mainstream. It was still like, you know, you probably weren't gonna find, you know, rapper like seeing rappers in mainstream was not the way that it is now. And then when you were, it was like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know, like wow, like how different and edgy that is versus now. You have all of these kids who grew up listening to rap who are now in music who they listened to the greats to the like little wanes and they listened to like this they listened to this music because that's the music they grew up listening to because they grew up as rap became mainstream and so now it's not bizarre to see Kendrick Lamar and Imagine Dragons perform together because like this idea that like genre is so either a or b you either do one or the other or like this idea that like people are human and people evolve and you can like more than one thing at the same time yeah <laughs> and that influences like, the music like it's so mind-blowing what more than one thing can be appealing like uh, i didn't realize that that would be so hard for like quote unquote people who call themselves nerds or 
professional music critics to understand, but apparently, like, <laughs> yeah, here we are. I'm sure there's like a wealth of others that I probably glossed, but um, I think that like it's I just find it so interesting of a spectacle, like the whole debate, like and how much of like um a false dichotomy slash binary it imposes on the whole thing because like um yeah I guess apparently um do you want to know a little bit of the history of the term yeah so basically it was coined in 1981 after an English rock musician named Pete Wiley started um a rock against racism festival and and then humorously just as a little throwaway described himself um as anti-rockist um like play on words for like rockists being uh racists who were only about rock music and then the term sort of kind of took off from there and um you know the youtube channel are you aware of the youtube channel todd in the shadows no i've never heard of that Um, He's a commentary channel who does um, this series called Train Records, where he goes over um, certain like popular uh, records that bombed. He did a video on Liz Fair's Fun Style. um, And in the intro of that video, he talks he talks about how a lot of people had requested that he do her eponymous fourth album, which came out in 2000, which definitely got very slandered by critics if you remember that infamous pitchfork review but also he made an excellent point that if it had been that this was also like just on the cusp of when poptimism like really began to make its way into mainstream cultural discourse between music critics and that if she had released her self-titled album maybe just a year or two later, it probably would have been critically revered. And I would like to point out the self-titled album is one of my favorites. Yeah. It's and and it's, but you know, that album is historically known for being a pop album. And, you know, is it because she decided to like, you know, does she lose her edge? You know, if you know, if she goes into that blame but artists evolve and sometimes you evolve into something that sounds a little bit more mainstream it doesn't mean you're not still a great artist that's just the sound you're going for right and exactly and she's good at writing pop songs she's so good I mean I yeah it, it I think one of my speaking of which that like makes me think of my other thing of like how I love this idea of like of writing and I think like writing is such a a lot of the that's what this comes down to like right like I feel like a lot of this comes down to will we be feeling this way if pop music you know historically I would say is the type of genre where the pop the performer and the writer and the producer are like three different entities so you know, you think about a song like Baby One More Time, where the artist is very famous, you know, Britney, Britney's performance, but Max Martin's writing and Max Martin's producing, like producing, like it's, it's iconic for two different people. 
it's not, it's like a, it's a different thing or a Max Martin production with maybe somebody less popular, but it's a Max Martin song. So that's like really cool. I'll use Katy Perry, for example, who, yes, people stand. I'm sure somebody stands Katy Perry. I don't, but, and she's a great artist. <laughs> and she has lots of great bops, I'm, I'm sure. But to me, it's not Katy Perry. It's not why these songs are like great. It's the production and the writing that makes them great. And you could argue that if you take some of her best songs and gave it to another artist, it would be still pretty great because it's not about her. It's about the music. But rock is different because I feel like it's not a culture of somebody else writing your rock songs. It's not somebody, it's not, that's like not the culture and it's, and it's not commercialized either as much. And I feel like these are the things that stop it. So if we talk more about pop stars and their writing, because that's also what you see, even within the pop music community, like it always comes down to like this elitism of like, well, my fave writes her own songs. So she's a little bit better because she can write and yours can't. And I'm like, or like, that's the big critique always for Beyonce is like, well, how many of those did she write? But then you get a Mariah Carey who has the most number ones in this entire business. And she's written all, I think all but one of those songs. And she's a song, like, but she's also a great vocalist, but she's also a songwriter, but she's also like a great producer. I know that's like, that's and I I hate it, but I feel like that's what you're gonna start seeing from these pop stars moving forward. You know, back in the day, it was like who's a performer, you know. But now we're like, okay, we need to like. It's kind of like you can't your 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 credibility is at stake if you don't have something tangible to say like that is can be transferable to any genre if you don't yeah. have that in your resume. Um, Ariana's really known now for. A being a great vocalist, but B vocal production mm. and product like that ability to like produce her own vocals in a way that's fresh and unique. Um, yeah, writers. These are the things, and I and I don't know if this makes sense or not, but like I, I feel like that is when we're talking about credibility and timing and all of that. I feel like it, it all comes down to you can't be pretty. And a great singer because they're not going to take you seriously because you're pretty and a great singer. But if you're a pretty great singer, but you also like write your songs and you, you know, do it like, yeah, use guitar and whatever. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll give you approval. That's where you get the Taylor Swift's. But then if you get a, you know, Billie Eilish, who is not that she can't sing. She's, she can sing, but she's not a vocalist per se. Her songwriting is pretty good. I don't personally think it's spec. I don't think her and Phineas do anything that's like groundbreaking per se, but she's dressed in an untraditional pop star way. So that's appealing to people. They take you more seriously. I mean, I don't know. I'm ranting here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you bring up an excellent point. Like there's so many different ingredients that goes into making like, great pop music and sometimes they mesh well and other times they don't like Katy Perry's a good example of like if you pro- if you gave her, her songs to somebody else they would probably still hold the same like amount of it or s- still pack no punches and hold the same amount of impact but um and also people like Max Martin and um like 
these, like, I don't know, there's, to quote, um, the, to quote our queen, Carly Rae Jepsen, like, there's something in the water over in Sweden, like, those writers and producers just, I don't know what kind of voodoo they're doing over there, but it's working. And it has worked, but I think, like, and I'm thinking about it even more, I'm like, it's also, I think, because we talked about it earlier about like, well, the radio plays this. And so of course you like it. Do you like it because it's good or do you like it because you hear it on the radio every day? And which is a valid point, but I think, you know, why are we begrudging these artists who, who are put in these situations? And I hate to refer back to form, but I go back to Britney because I feel like Britney is like the perfect example of what I'm talking about here. You know, Britney didn't want to be the pop star that we know her to be today. She has said this on record. This is like a very much confirmed thing that this was not the type, like she was not trying to be a pop star per se. She wanted to be famous. She wanted to be a performer, but she wasn't trying to be this Britney that I think get that, that people have reduced her to and you know it starts with her first album and the vocals and being singing in that baby that like that vocal uh fry and that like anger or not anger that like vocal fry and that like baby voice and that doing really well but if you listen to her the album actually a lot of the time she's singing in her you know normal natural singing voice but that's not selling the records the baby voice is iconic. So somebody in the record label says, you got to keep singing the baby voice. The dancing, the dancing is what's selling, is what's selling out the crowds. So you know what? And it's kind of hard to sing when you're, you know, distorting your voice and dancing. Mm, you know what? We'll just make you not sing anymore. And then you can just, you know, you can just, you know, do your dance. You know what? we really just need to keep making these singles because these singles are, are, you know, money, money, it's money. We're making money off this. So you're going to make albums back to back to back. Um, and you're going to tour back to back to back. And because we're putting these albums out so quickly, the quality may not be what is considered elite. You know, you don't really have time to write an album. We're just going to pick these, pick the songs from the catalog this is like not to say this is the case for her but i'm just kind of generalizing it here this is the formula that we have seen for so many years brianna is a perfect example when brianna first started she put out an album every year she's always putting out albums and i'm going to be honest with you and i love rihanna i I definitely didn't like her music when she first came out because it was so commercialized and trust me people who like pop music do know the difference between a commercial pops like an industry plant as the kids say and somebody like is about their artistry and when she was putting out albums back to back to back with these throwaway songs but when she started to really pull back and like put that artistry back into her music it's like oh wow it's like a breath of fresh air and it's completely different and that burnout but the issue is nobody talks about the string that's being pulled behind the scenes. So we just see, you know, these raucous, rock, rockists. <laughs> we're like, we're like, are like, you know, 
oh, she's just is number one and all she does is this. She doesn't even sing live. She doesn't write her own music. Uh, well, I, I'm sure pop star would love to write her own music. Unfortunately, there's big label man who's trying to make money off of and it's to quote our uh, yeah. Gen Z queen, Olivia Rodrigo. Who are they if not exploited? These like these people are being exploited. And, you know, I think we've moved away from it a little bit, but it's still happening because it's money. It's a money grab. And I feel like that's the side of pop music that I think rock maybe doesn't get is that it's not just to say people aren't making money off of rock stars, but rock stars don't do endorsement deals. Rock stars don't have movie aren't don't star in movie roles and crossover and do all these other like side hustles they're not modeling they don't do you know collect like it's just a different type of vibe there's just so much money at stake and I feel like that has definitely muddied the waters and how people view the genre in general is that they think everything is artificial because in some ways it is well that even that this idea that like you you but mean but yes but that and then I think there's the artistry aspect too that gets stifled because then you get years where you're not allowed to really talk about what's really happening um that was something I made a comparison for when it came to like Miley Cyrus and then Olivia Rodrigo who is a Disney star though not nearly at the same level as Miley thank god in some ways because you know Miley Cyrus couldn't it took her a long time to shed the Hannah Montana thing yeah, she really had to do what she had to do. She had to take it that far in order she had to. to. Yeah. And people don't recognize that. But I'm like, Bangers is an, is an excellent album. But I'm like, when you're when there's so much money tied into your artistry, at some point you get stifled. And you're not you're gonna start doing things and you're you're gonna sometimes have to put out a song that you don't particularly care for because it's not about you. It's there's it's bigger than you. Yeah. And that, that, that's this plate and I wouldn't in a different world I feel like you would have more pop stars be indie artists and like I, I feel like a lot of them probably want to operate like these girls and boys but I say mostly girls because I feel like they're exploited the most they don't want to be touring back to back to back to back to back to back to back and promoting album after album after album with no break in between you know how do you write how do you write an album that's great if you're forced to chug them out every six months that's just not normal you know there's no room for the artistry Mm -hmm. yeah and also like yeah it's yeah there's so many different complicated like aspects to like I guess um like what does go on behind the scenes because like yeah you made an excellent point like Billie Eilish is clearly in charge of her own creative vision um, and that is like, um, that was like almost an anomaly to people when she uh, revealed, I would rather die than have somebody else style me or tell me what to write or what to say in the press or what to, you know, and, and like the fact that she's able to do that now, I don't think a lot of people realize like how big of a deal, uh, how big of a deal that is given the history. But, but she gets to do it. And I am a fan. So I'm saying this from a good, I'm not being shady. I'm calling it for what it is, but I'm, but like she gets to do it and it's fun and it's edgy and it's, wow, she's so strong and confident. And, you know, because she's not wearing the couture gowns and she's doing, you know, the, 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 the green hair and it's different. It's, 
yeah, she's edgy. That's like cool. That's like whatever. But then you don't see all the pop girls before her who were like, I, I want to do this. Like, I want to, like, I think of Christina who wants to use the black, who like had the, during the strip era, had like the black hair and the piercings and like the crazy, like low cut revealing outfits and was getting dragged for wearing revealing outfits, but that was what she wanted to wear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that, that idea of when, but I, again, it goes back to, I was saying is that we as a society have changed so much we are not we learn we have learned and you know now you wouldn't shaming girls for how they dress is like not popular it's a thing that like would get you cut up and and dragged and we now understand that like oh wow like femininity comes in different packages like it's just we were in a different stage and a different world and I thank god for that but I feel like we can't ignore and act like the women before did not feel the same way. They did. They just weren't in the position to do so. They didn't have the luxury of the knowledge and the growth of like our society back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it's really great that people are um, speaking, uh, are also speaking up about this, like what you just said online, like um, they had the, they had the recent Framing Britney documentary um, on Hulu. I, I'm not sure how you feel about that, but um, like they, people do seem to be like, I guess like mining these like things that were said about um, a lot of pop stars back in the day and being like, hey, remember when this happened? Like this, this isn't okay. And um, I... And you made an excellent point about the Christina album. Like she, that was an incredible album. She was singing about a myriad of different things, abuse, um, sexism that she personally dealt with and industry people not taking her seriously. And, but people only remember that as the album with dirty on it, you know, or or beautiful, which, you know, yes, that's great. But honestly, Beautiful is like just one of many songs. Like that's just that happens to be the one that's the single. That album is all about that. And and you know a lot of the music she made post stripped. And and it's important to know. And I feel like this goes back to what I've been like yelling about for the last forty five minutes. Is she got new management after her first album that was really pop that she didn't really particularly care for a lot of the songs because they were too pop and she wanted to do more R&B. She wanted to do more, you know, what stripped stripped, I think is, I always say is like quintessential what Christina's vibe is. That's why I get really defensive when people think that she's just like, they make the Britney comparisons. And I'm like, Christina leans more R&B for sure. Just because her first out, al- even her first album, though it is poppy, it still leans more R&B, but you know, that's, the, the vibe and there's a lot of artists that do this like who who write music that is a little bit more nuanced once they get to a certain point but they don't pay attention to that aspect of it it's it's it, yeah and even dirty dirty isn't about isn't supposed to be overtly sexual like yes is it sexual but that's not the that's like not the point it's not the point of the song yeah, exactly. And like, it's so interesting because like, 
I mean, people will take what they will from like, I guess like I, people are so eager to take stuff at face value and be like, Oh, okay. Like I see, like to, I wonder like how many people who gave that album a bad review actually gave it like a thorough, like more than one listen, you know, um, or even kind of bothered to try and relate to it in any way, you know? Yeah. But, and it's, it's, it's so funny to me because I I just think that we don't, because I even think about in particular with Strip, which I know I've talked about, it's like one of my favorite albums is that I remember Pink had a lot of beef with the idea that Christina got beautiful and this idea that like she did this like deep moment and it sounds like, oh, it's just a moment. It's just like a, or it's a put on. It's, there's no way, you know, this super successful pop star can be, you know, going through this much drama. And I think it's kind of important though that I don't need the girl who doesn't god and I hope this doesn't sound wrong <laughs> but I think you know me to know that like I'm not saying this but I because I we, we talk about this a lot of this like the only like this idea that girls who are conventionally beautiful or conventionally like stereotypically what you assume is pretty and all of that jazz like if she if that is you know those people have struggles too. And those people, people who I've always said for myself, like I have high self-esteem for the most part, but I still have like things I'm insecure about, but I don't feel this angst or anger towards people who are, but like that. And I feel like, you know, a beautiful is a lot, you know, more like, oh, I love this song because like I can relate to just like that feeling and it's not putting anybody down. It's just putting people up, but you then you compare it to like a pink like don't let me get me which is a great song too but the whole song is a lot of it's blaming or like putting down other people you know she says in the song like the record label wanted her to be like Britney and like that just isn't me and I'm like you know this shit like this I'm another girl and that's I don't I'm not blonde and then and that makes me a little bit better because like, I'm not like other girls PM. <laughs> yeah yeah I'm not like other girls and therefore like when I'm telling you to feel strong in yourself you shouldn't you can actually believe it because I'm like it, it bothers me and I, I've talked about this before like this super because I think I'm going on a tangent again but like even that that rockism and pop is pop dependism you know element is involved in pop because even the pop girls have a hierarchy of who's a good pop like who is a little bit better than who like I just said pink you know I like think she made her entire career being a different type of pop girl like you know and so her pop music is good because it's about you know celebrating yourself and just being cool and like you're the cool girl tm and it's just like Jesus, it's okay to be, it's okay to be stereotypical. It's okay to be conventionally pretty. It's okay to confirm to a few gender roles or two because you choose to, it's what you like to do. It's okay to be super feminine and make music. That doesn't make you less smart. It doesn't make you less, you know, 
important. And that's the issue. So I feel like it's not even just like a rock versus pop. Like this is something that exists. I I think it's deep seated and it's deeper and it talks more so about how we view femininity because again, pop is femininity. And if you think that being feminine is a sign of weakness or makes you less than you're going to, that's how you're going to kind of react. Yeah. I like, I understand the whole like personal isolation and alienation that a lot of the not like other girls TM feel But that's also like, once again, like not an excuse to dump on other, it's not a stick to beat other women with. You can't like, I don't know, you you know. No, I'm I'm agreeing. I think like it all comes back to, to that. And I feel like these critiques, I know, like I said, there are men and pop, but I feel like men and pop don't get the same rep that women and pop do. You know, I think about how men and pop are kind of allowed to skate and even, you know, Prince who is some, or even Michael Jackson, like Prince or Michael Jackson, people who are, again, who, you know, were pop, but kind of like in that Beyonce sphere of like all genres. But like, I mean, Michael Jackson's literally known as the king of pop, but nobody was like, but his music was as well revealed, like, received his music is iconic that has never not been the case <laughs> like his music is, like his albums are are well regarded and high, like lauded and all of this stuff and I just think it's funny that women and I mean I'm that's like across genres I feel like people respect the artistry but for some strange reason you compare him to like a contemporary in his case it's a Whitney or something like that like oh it's not the same. There's flaws. Yeah. <sighs> and like when Madonna was like pushing boundaries, people were were call were just like, oh, you know, like it's she's just doing her like little little sister version of shock rock and it, and it's less interesting and it's just it's just, it's like it's and when, but when she released erotica, like that was honestly does Madonna play conventional punk music? No, but was do I think Erotica was one of the most punk fucking things that I had that I'd ever seen a pop artist pull off? Yeah, like yeah, and and I mean you even get like I'm just like pulling from the things that I can really speak it to, and that's like you know we've talked about Blackout and Britney and how like it's kind of funny that her most well received album does not sound a single thing that like if you ask like the most mainstream human being about Britney's music they probably don't even know that Blackout exists they probably like don't know that Blackout is like this super like electro pop like dark gritty album like even lyrically like that album is banger after banger after banger after banger like every you know nothing made me like gave me a bigger serotonin rush than when I went to a club and the DJ would just play all of his remixes of Blackout that he had on his little soundboard it made me so happy yeah and I mean and there and I mean that oh those the remixes are like part of like the best part um and I just think like it's there are a lot of great I'm I'm like 
Uh, now I'm thinking, I was like, there's so many people. And, and even like when you get like, you know, like these artists that are now playing around with like rap and like trap music, like trap production, like that stuff's so good. I feel as if, you know, there's dark sides to this. And I do think like not everybody is, like I said, pop is complicated because it's a lot. Of, there's lots, there's lots going on. And even I, as a pop fan, I'm a little bit of the latest myself. There's certain pop artists that I don't particularly care for because I don't think that they, because I do feel like, oh, we're, we're just trying to get our money and go on about our day. Like there's no, there's no artistry here. It's the label sent me these songs. I'm going to record my songs and do my dancey dance and go uh, sell at the mall and go on about my day. And it's like, I was telling someone today or earlier today, I was like, I like pop music and I love discovering new artists, but like the problem I have is I don't have a buy-in. Like it's so hard to buy in to some of these new artists because it's like, okay, like. And by the way, like, have you heard of, are you familiar with like, um, I guess the post uh, Spice Girls British pop scene like that came out like with like Richard X doing all of his stuff. Um, and um and other bands like um I was watching okay fun fact I was watching I was watching Nevermind the Buzzcocks which was an old like music panel show in the UK um that started in the 90s or whatever and they would always like slander um the band Atomic Kitten you know the band (gasps) and I like I'm a big fan yeah, me too. And like, like, I remember, like, seeing them say all this. And I I was like, uh, all of this stuff, like one of the jokes that one of the hosts made was um, in insert year here, 10cc um, released an authorized biography called 10cc, the worst fan in the world, atomic kittens lawyer settled out of court. And I and like with all of but they were just used as the biggest punching bag of the entire series and I remember being like I do not remember them being that bad I googled um the tide is high just for nostalgia purposes and I was like this is a great fucking song like it's a great cover it's like one of the best like the fact that the song is such a good cover that people think that that is the original version of it yeah but does that say to you um exactly. like hole again is one of my personal favorites you make me oh my god oh, i love banger. play version i love the play version but i also quite enjoy the the og um but yeah i mean it's just really ridiculous to me and yeah it, and even like people who would write about um andy what's his face from orchestral maneuvers in the dark who um they never made any attempt to hide the fact that they respected him as a genuine artist and like he was the mastermind behind atomic kitten so like you would figure that they would maybe enjoy that too but no because it's a bunch of girls who um were like I guess like put together like and didn't really start as a DIY band or whatever didn't match your criteria as like a true um indie elitist music listener or whatever then they're not credible like yeah well that and then it's like you have to like like I will say I I've I've been real misandrist in this call and saying how like I don't think that you know 
boys that the males have gotten into that. And they have. I will say, like, boy groups definitely got, like, a hard time here. Because, again, a lot of the boy groups, you know, on record, you know, were known to be, like, cash cows. Uh, Lou Perm. Oh, Lou. Made a lot of money off of those people. And so, you know... They got it, but I always felt like mm, the way that we talk about boy bands in retro. Well, I feel like there's not as many boy bands in general that have had the same success as the girls. I feel like you had they had like a moment. You had your Backstreet Boys and you had your 98 Degrees and you had your O Towns, but then like Nick Lachey is famous now, but he's not necessarily famous for. Singing. he's more of like a tv personality nick carter's famous but like backstreet boys okay like they didn't even someone yeah. i've seen the arguments before that like well they're the only boy band that like kept going after all this time i was like yeah they kept going and they're not when was the last time they had a hit when was the last time you heard one of their songs? Like, their songs aren't... Like, I said, that's the difference. I said, you know, one thing I've always said, and I stand by this, that if NSYNC got together today and released a song, it would go number one. It would still be successful. And I said, you know, they were vocalists, but I feel like, you know, Justin Timberlake, I know apparently now people cancel him and they don't like him. I missed the boat and when Justin Timberlake became problematic. I know, I know why... I know why people feel this way. Best story for another day. <laughs> but he was always respected as a songwriter and as a singer and as a performer. And But even when he broke out into pop, like as a solo artist, he had a hard time because it's like, you're a boy band. Yeah, like I remember like, um, I remember receiving like a comment on one of the like little essays I did about um, how you should never apologize to your quote unquote homies. And by the way, if your homies don't let you listen to pop in front of them, their toxic homies run. Um, like that basically I made the argument that no one should feel like apologetic about liking something that's popular. And one of these um, people commented saying, my two favorite bands are Lord and Pulp. And whenever I tell people that my favorite musician is Lord, they roll their eyes and they just yawn, but then they act like I'm, I have cool points or I'm more credible if I tell them that my favorite band is Pulp. And I'm like, you see, like, that's why we still need to be having, pushing these conversations and um, not, despite what all these quote unquote critics may say about the about the evil pernicious rise of poptimism like we still need to be having these conversations because these like these biases like just are real you know yeah and I but I and I feel like and sometimes I think like it it allows you to not take yourself too seriously it allows Mm -hmm. you to think about like oh my god like sometimes I just want to listen to something mindless but then sometimes it's like you know oh my gosh, like, this is deep than you thought. This is fun to sing in the sh- I can't sing um, Led Zeppelin in the shower. I can't, unfortunately. It's just, it's just not. Oh, I can do this in the shower. Da-na-na, 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 da-na-na. 
that's like like what am I supposed like and it's not that I don't like instruments hello oh god I'm gonna go on another first of all the pop stands are really smart people they they actually pay attention to these things like they do pay attention to more than like like oh that's a cute song and I even say this as like someone who even my own faves I'm like oh it's a cute song I don't foresee myself like playing it too many times it's not that great but it's good it's not that great but then you know we pay attention to things like vocal arranging and notes and oh my god they hit a you know a sharp like this that and the other you know head voice like you can talk about these things there it's a different genre like maybe like it's maybe it's not the instrumental but maybe but like in pop we're talking about like singing like singing and I feel like that is such the like the lost part here is that like oh my god like listen to the vocal and even if it's not the vocal like you know pop stars are able to sing their melodies over a different melody and make a a bop and I was like that's like smart like Beyonce has made an entire career off of that and I was like don't tell me that there's no artistry here don't tell me that it's not deep don't tell me that there's no thought pro- like it's mindless exactly and that just, like act like these people <laughs> like these people didn't spend time like sometimes can we tell yeah, yeah. there is artistic merit exactly no 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 that's all yeah. I was gonna say no no I know we've been like I mean we've said it 10 hundred times I'm just gonna keep saying it like there is definitely like those spaces for artists um there are I, I've always said that these mainstream pop artists that people like and are super popular, there's it makes sense that they're super popular because they're super talented. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. It's not like do I think there's some pop stars that people stand and I'm like, oh hmm, I guess. Sure. But like these top tier people who are on the radio who are winning these awards they're not doing I don't I think it's unfair to say like it's just because they're popular and they have the label push and the money and all that's like a lot of these people are talented and we need to start giving them credit for their talent yeah we do for sure and also you made an excellent point it's fun I like listening to gorgeous and Tech and really technical vocalists. I love um, just, I love hearing these catchy, earwormy, like production styles along with excellent, like simplistic songwriting and, and these really, um, really smart, like obscure samples that they work into, like talk about lemonade. I mean, like all those excellent samples, like, and the thing is rock music will eventually, and it already has loop in and to become a part of pop music so I feel like if you think that your liking rock makes you somehow different and edgy or fun or more of a real music lover then I don't know what to tell you because the rock stars of tomorrow are listening to Ariana Grande and they're going to be sampling Ariana Grande songs. Period. In 20 years. They're going to be sampling Max Martin productions in 20 years. I, mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's like, like you recognize that because this is. Have you seen Mark Ronson's TED talk about sampling? No. Send that to me because that sounds like something I want to yeah. watch. 
here. I've, I've pulled up like a tiny little snippet from it here. In samples, you know, the Grammy committee says that if your song contains some kind of pre-written or pre-existing music, you're ineligible for song of the year. Rockists who are racist, but only about rock music, constantly use um, the argument to do, that's a real word. That is a real word. I just love that. It's mess. Yeah, no, it's, I, I just think, you know, all these artists will eventually start, it's, it's just going to circle. And I think it goes again to what was the popular music when a lot of these critics were coming up? Rock. So a lot of the artists, the, you know, the rocks like Haiti was 70s, 80s, a little bit of the 90s. That was like its strong point. So all of those artists that are now who were born in that time grew up listening to that music that maybe went on to be like a Halsley and make pop music that's really rock inspired or to be a Miley Cyrus whose dad is like this country rock artist, <laughs> like famous country rock artist who makes pop music with rock hints and works with, or like a Kesha who like makes songs with the flame and lips. Like, yeah, she made things. songs with the flame and lips, Iggy pop. She had yeah. Fabrizio Moretti drumming on one of her, uh, on one of the warrior songs. Yeah. That was a rock inspired album. Well, the girl who like, like all these things, then those, the girl who listens to Kesha and likes plastic hearts by Miley Cyrus is then going to be, again, be a pop star and say like, yes, I love this. And they're going to know all this because all of these things are influenced. It's just about things like what you're exposed to. So exactly. And, that's all I got. <laughs> and, and yeah, and that's an excellent point. Cause one of the, I interviewed um, an artist recently and they, one of the things they said to me is that you, they, is that one of my biggest inspirations is actually Taylor Swift. Like my songwriting was crafted by her. And they say that you never shake what you love when you're 14. And I to totally believe that to be true. Yeah. I've, I've read, they've, they've said that the song, the, the artist that you like, you should probably look at the time period that they kind of came into your life as an artist, because it's more than likely from that 14 like that adolescence age because you're coming of age so everything is so fresh and nuanced and you're like in love with it because it's coming to you at this really transformative time in your life totally so that's it's very common and and again I think you can like I always think of myself like I didn't like I am I do I like country music particularly no are there country music song like country songs I love absolutely and I think about like why do I love these songs I love these songs because there's something about them they're written really well so I've always said like for me I've always loved like a really really good written song so I've always loved writing and I've always said, like I could probably like any genre if the song's well written yeah um, they say if you strip a song down to its bare essentials, if it's truly a good song, then it should sound like a folk song or a country song. Right. And I feel like there's so many people who like that's that's common. That's like something that exists a lot. And that's why I've always loved acoustic versions of songs. And I've always felt like, you know, to me, I've always said like my favorite artists are artists that could sell an arena with just a you know 
someone on the piano or the guitar if they don't play it themselves and just sing their entire catalog and their songs are still good like that and I love I love the pageantry like I said of pop but I feel like and this kind of goes into the point of like just because I like pop music does not mean I'm not like into like I can't be smart because I there are a lot of really talented people who are great performers, but the music's kind of boring. and I don't really have anything to pay attention to and I'm kind of like bored. But then you got some people who are great singers, but again, the songs are boring and the performances are boring. I think about Demi Lovato and their voice is so amazing. They have, you know, a lot of potential and have always had a lot of potential, but I feel like they there's there has always been something with them that like made it hard for me to sell it like to sell into it and so I have had a hard time enjoying their music I like their last album but like it just isn't but uh I you know but they're excellent and amazing singer and I understand why so many people are a fan but it's just not there for me the song like even the songwriting though it's like deep it's like I have okay I've heard you talk about this 10 times for over the past 10 years let's do something different so yeah Yeah. so um uh and one last thing before I let you go um I just re-listened to uh losing my edge by LCD sound system um and in that song like I didn't realize how meta and trolly that James Murphy gets in that song. And he he basically takes on the voice of several um, elitist music listeners that I think really encompass all of what we're talking about. Can I play a little section from the song? Yeah. This is, this is my favorite section of the song. So that that is what is so oh, after like re-listening to that and realizing how meta it is, that's just I just love like all of the that name dropping you just heard. And then in the beginning of the song, he even goes like he he drops those classic one liners that these adults who uh, prefer rock love to say, like, I was there. I was there at the first Ken show. I was there like I'm losing my edge to the kids from France and London, borrowing nostalgia from the 80s like and. I was there when Captain Beefheart went into the recording studio. I told him, don't do it, man. You'll lose all your money. Like, yeah, it's like I I didn't realize like how like smart like he was getting like when I first heard the song. Like I was just like, okay, like this kind of sounds like a talking heads, Marky Smith kind of uh, knockoff. But but like I honestly (laughs) respect James Murphy so much more after realizing like the story behind it. Yeah, because, I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's you want to make yourself sound like you're a little bit better and a little bit more, like, you know, smart. And you get it a little bit more. So we name drop and we say, like, well, I did this, that, and the other. And it's just so much just history. And it's like, I guess if you have to cling on to that for your relevancy to, like, say that you're... And so I do appreciate the Jill Scott Heron reference because it's like, because, oh, I don't want to keep going because there's, I keep going. But yeah, I I just think like you, oh my God, 
I choked. I think, like, if you can see that, like, your fave, like, you, you, this elitism, it's deep, it goes deeper than, like, genre of music. It's deeper, it's deep-rooted. If pop music wasn't written by, you know, 20-something young ladies and, you know, people of color or, you know, people who are a part of the Alphabet Mafia, like, you, <laughs> the LGBTQ community games, should call them by their name. <laughs> oh, I love it. My friend, that's when my friend and I always say the Mafia, it's the Mafia agenda. Um, <laughs> um, happy Pride. <laughs> but, uh, we, but, like, when you, if you're, if, be, you know, if it was, if they weren't, like, performing in like leotards and glitter and you know it wasn't fun and you know feminine like that you know and it was because they don't do this to rap they don't do this to these other I mean there's definitely been critiques of rap but not in this idea of that's like absolutely like basic like being called basic because you like a mainstream pop artist I don't know and you know I think even some of this, like, has trickled down into the the fandoms, and I think, like, that's, like, the last thing I'll say is that, like, I think you gotta like what you like, and you don't need to defend it, and you don't need to justify that, like, if you like what you like, and it's okay that you like XYZ pop star, because they're not like the other XYZ pop stars, because XYZ pop star does this, that, and the other, therefore, like, I'm a little bit better. We see this all the time. Stan culture has definitely brooded this. You know, the Taylor Swift stands yelling, well, Taylor writes all of her songs and the Miley stands being, who attacked me. I got harassed on Twitter the other day by Miley Cyrus stands because I said that Olivia Rodrigo is like able to do what Miley really struggled to do for a long time on her first album. And they were like, well, she's not even that famous on Hannah Montana. Like she, Hannah Montana was super famous and whatnot. And I'm like, yes, I, I know I was alive to see Hannah Montana's rise. But what I'm saying is because she separated her acting career and her musical career, it's allowed her more flexibility as an artist because she's not writing the cool tales of her acting career. Exactly. And she's not trapped and she's not trapped in the Disney pipeline where like they police everything you do. Yeah. And, but they were like, well, but Miley was bigger. So like, blah, blah, blah. And like, they're like her, her role on her Disney show isn't even that popular. I was like, yeah, but she's still a main character on this Disney show. And they're like, nobody watches that show. And I was like, because it's 2021 and people watch things on streaming, people do watch it. You don't watch it. It's not a Disney Channel big show, but like, that's besides the point. But, you know, they're defending because, like, well, Miley is the originator of teen kids show to pop star pipeline. And I'm like, great. That doesn't mean, like, that doesn't make your, like, standing of her more, like, cool or more, like, because that's what they do now. It's like you, you find these small things to say like, well, my thing's not like the others. You find, yeah, Twitter, I mean, they find an opportunity to twist someone's words around who aren't kissing their faves' feet all the time, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I think too long didn't read. Like what you like and you don't have to justify it. And I feel like your, your music taste shouldn't be your personality. It's mine, but it shouldn't be. And, you know... 
it doesn't define you. I'm definitely not defined by the fact that I enjoy a two-minute ode to Pete Davidson as one of my favorite songs. I have to live with that every day to know that an entire <laughs> album about breaking up with Pete Davidson is one of my favorite songs, like albums of all times. I have to live with the fact that my favorite Taylor Swift song is written about Joe Jonas. These are things that I have to come to terms with and I'm not ashamed of it. It's just a fact of my life. <laughs> yeah. My exactly. computer to die. Oh no. Snaps. Snaps for everything you just said. But yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Um, so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to Sounding Out with Miss Anthro. Don't forget to give us a rating and review. And remember to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Misanthrope. My blog is izzyshutup.com and my Instagram page is at Izzy's Two Cents and my Twitter is MissanthropeI. You can find Brooke at The Story Brooke on Twitter and Brooke G double underscore on Instagram. Thank you once again for listening and I hope to see you all in the next episode. <laughs>